0: markets are worried about inflation. I'm not telling you anything new there, of course, but maybe they're getting more worried as each day passes. And with it, the concern that the only way through all of this is going to involve a recession. U.S. equities fell further on Friday. Yields are rising. The U.S. dollar is climbing. That familiar pattern continues. Is there anything to break the pattern? Well, an end to the war in Ukraine would be good, and China finding a way to live with COVID would be helpful as well. But sadly, neither looks likely anytime soon. So supply chain fuel inflation is with us, and that can only be met with a fall in demand. We're not seeing much of that yet. It's Monday, the 9th of May, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the uh, fall in US equities continued on Friday, particularly for the Nasdaq, which fell 1.4%. It's almost 25% down on its peak from last November now. If you see the Russell 2000 as more of a gauge of the real economy, because we're looking at smaller businesses there, that was down 1.7% on Friday, almost 25% of its peak as well. The falls were even bigger in Europe. The Euro Stoxx 50 down 1.8% on Friday. The FTSE 100 down 1.5%. And at home in Oz, the ASX 200 down 2.2%. But the biggest falls are in China. The CSI 300 down 2.5%. The Hang Seng down 3.8%. That's down 50% since its peak in early. 2021. Uh, The US dollar retreated a little on Friday, having topped out above 104 on the DXY index. The Aussie, though, fell half a percent but it was coming off a fairly sharp peak in the middle of the week, of course, when it climbed up towards 73 US cents, but finished the week only marginally up on where it had started the week. As shares fell, bond yields continued to climb. US 10 years are now at 3.13%, rising nine basis points on Friday. They fell about five basis points on two years, though. So will 10 years go higher? Bearing in mind it's 11 years since we've seen 10-year treasuries with yields holding above 3% for any significant period of time. Could this be that time? German buns were up nine basis points on Friday, up to 1.13%. UK 10-year gilts, very close to 2% now. Again, the moves are at 10 years, less so at the front end. And oil going up, Brent up 1.3% on Friday, over $112 now. That's 2.8% up across the week, even with big falls in the first couple of days of last week and you know who's really suffering right now bitcoiners bitcoin fell over 5% on sunday it's about half its uh, it's all time high last november you know what, I thought people were buying it as a hedge against inflation. Obviously not, uh, or it's not working for them if they did. So, still a lot of volatility around, although the pattern does seem to be rising commodities, falling share prices, higher bond yields, stronger US dollar. Uh, Tapas Strickland is here today from NAB in Sydney, um, and I know what equity investors will be asking, and it's an unfair question for you, Tapas, for how much lower... Will share markets go? And what's driving it? Is it, uh, is it inflation fears? It seems to be, doesn't it? Inflation or stagflation? Call it what you want.
1: Uh, good morning, Phil. Yes, another wild ride on markets on Friday. And it looks like there's little to abate that kind of pressure going forward. The highlight this week is going to be the US CPI. And I think that's going to be quite crucial for the inflation story coming out of the US. But mm. even with that report, it could be downplayed just given any moderation um, could could be... Temporary in the sense that you still got those supply chain disruptions coming from Russia and Ukraine and also from China's zero COVID. Policy, So it's not necessarily um, or a green light if you do get a softish U.S. CPI report. Um, As for equities, I think two interesting themes are going on here. So one, obviously the Fed is hiking in order to reduce inflationary pressures in the U.S. economy. And there was a number of Fed speakers overnight that I think is quite pertinent for the outlook for financial markets. And the first one was um, James Bullard from the St. Louis Fed reiterating his view that a rate closer to 3.6% was needed in coming quarters. And so that's quite a wow. lot um, more than what markets is currently pricing in terms of the Fed. I think markets is currently pricing a terminal Fed funds rate of around three, 3%. Um, the second one was um, some commentary coming from a few ex-vice chairs um, saying that the Fed would be willing to hike uh, into a recession um, if inflation r- remained high. And one ex-vice chair, Quiles, who only recently was – the US Fed Vice Chair for Regulation uh, last year, Um, just wanted to quote one thing from him. And he said, this is an institution from top to bottom that knows that the one great sin that will be remembered by everyone 50 years later is if you let inflation get out of control. And my young security guard did not remember what the unemployment rate was in 1971. He knew that Arthur Burns... Let inflation get out of control, and mm. that will drive the commitment of the committee to ensure that they get on top of this. So yeah. that's pretty powerful words. And just worth noting, Quiles was actually on a, on a panel – with our current Fed, uh, FMC members Bullard and Waller as well.
0: I guess the question is so just- when. Yeah, when does it start to bite? That's the question, isn't it? Because 2005 was the last time when we saw interest rates rising up to you know two and a half, three uh, percent. Back then, the proportion of household income that was used to pay off the mortgage was quite a bit more than it is now. So there's a bit of leeway to go, isn't there? So how far do they have to go before we actually see that you know household discretionary income is being bitten away by the money that we now have to use to pay our mortgage that's when we start to see uh, our demand for other stuff starting to fall and uh, i think we might be a little way off that just yet
1: definitely and you'd have to say the lags in the transmission mechanism are probably longer in the u.s than they are in say australia mainly because you have 30 year fixed rates right um so it's only really the new mortgage flow that that's being impacted at, at the moment whereas in australia it pretty much gets transmitted straight away um, you are starting to see some impacts on the US economy of course you are um, starting to see some s- slowdown in uh, mortgage applications in the US they're broadly back to pre-pandemic levels now and uh, used car sales uh, Mannheim which is one of the used car aggregators in-, in the US reported used car sales for retail fell 12% in April and of course as rates go up uh, people um, become uh, financing for a motor vehicle becomes less affordable mm. so you are starting to get some transmission through the economy and uh, definitely Fed officials will be watching this but from a, from a market's point of view, from an equity market's point of view, um, for the past two, two decades, there has been a Fed put effectively within the market. Whenever the stock market fell by a certain percentage point, the Fed would soften up its rhetoric. That hasn't occurred in this cycle. And with inflation where it is at, at the moment, um, that is one of the reasons why many people out there are s- suggesting there's a bit more downside risk in terms of risk sentiment Please going th- forward. Um, and the third thing I just wanted to leave mm-hmm. you is that um, some analysis in terms of equity flows over the past week. I have noted that retail money is only just starting to flow out of equities um, after obviously considerable inflows during the pandemic there and that there has been a flow into inverse etfs so i they're pretty much short equity etfs um so at least some of the retail punters are now moving from um outflows and also inflows into short equity etfs so it looks like the retail sentiment out there at least has
0: turned right is that what because they've got they got their fingers burnt, had a bit of time got their fingers burnt, now they're getting out is that what we're seeing
1: uh yes and also maybe um Uh, Managing and hedging their risk for existing positions as as well. So interestingly, uh, Bank of America did some analysis of the ETF data and they suggested that, for and this is on the retail money, for every $100 that was put into equities, US equities, over the past 14 months, only $3 has been redeemed so far. So money hasn't really flown that much out of US equities Mm -hmm. in a retail sense. Um, So in that sense, if um, retail investors do get a bit overwhelmed by all the bearish sentiment out there, then there is a possibility for greater, outflows I'm mm. um, just worth noting looking at prior Bear markets, the average decline in equities was
0: around 37%. Right, so there's a sign, isn't it, that it could actually go much lower. Uh, and we're not seeing this demand destruction happening yet because people are borrowing. We're seeing this in, in quite a few other places. We saw in Friday in the United States like, quite a rise in consumer credit as though consumers are actually funding these rising prices through borrowing rather than changing their consumption patterns. But, I mean, that can't go on forever, obviously.
1: And also probably goes to illustrate that the accumulated savings that a lot of people talk about, probably has a very uneven distribution and was probably distributed more towards the top end of the market. So those people on lower incomes, although they've gotten wage rises, are probably still starting to, or at least starting to start to feel the bit of stress at the moment. Um, and the other one to look out for in terms of equities, um, and this is particularly in regards to China in its zero COVID policy, is that there were a few uh, companies on Friday um, announcing profit warning. So um, Adidas came out and reported sales shrink 3% worldwide um so not necessarily a very positive outlook and that was because of a massive sales collapse in China in the first quarter by 35% um similar anecdotes from under armor as well so that was one of the reasons uh, why equities turned into the red on friday
0: yeah uh, and we get uh, china's uh, trade data today don't we as well so it's going to be interesting to see uh what's happening uh, in particular with their with their exports oh uh,
1: definitely and you have to say with uh, the some of the ports shut. Your um, consensus there is looking for um, a negative year-on-year year print for uh, for imports, um, while exports are expected to rise just slightly. There, um, China's zero COVID policy uh, looks like it's going to be continuing for a little bit longer. And uh, I think one of the key points in the calendar is our President Xi in the twentieth people's of uh, the twentieth National People's. Party Congress, uh, where he's going for a historic third-year term, and that's due to be held between August uh, and October this year.
0: Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch their attitude towards Russia as well, isn't it, over, uh, over coming weeks, because there's sort of a bit of press saying that President Xi's perhaps not quite so happy or quite so supportive uh, of, uh, of Putin's position. Uh, but we'll see. We'll find out whether he's there celebrating Victory Day with him uh, later on today. Just going back to the States, though, quickly, first of all, because uh, we haven't uh, covered everything, non-farm payrolls. Normally we get terribly excited about that, but there wasn't anything... Too exciting was there on Friday, although average hourly earnings actually fell a little. So, if we're looking for a little tiny uh, sprig of optimism, then maybe that's one.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, just to um, highlight, the, the headline payrolls did beat at four hundred twenty-eight thousand versus three hundred eighty thousand expected, and the unemployment rate was unchanged at three point six. But as you noted, um, average hourly earnings did moderate. Uh, slightly, it came in at 0.3% month-to-month versus 0.4% expected. But what was interesting is the prime month was actually revised higher, so the annual year-on-year was as expected at 5.5% year-on-year. Some analysts have been looking at the three-month average of average hourly earnings, which is now 3.7% annualized, as saying that... Ali earnings are starting to slow down from the 6% pace seen last year. Uh, But just worth reiterating for the Fed, though, at least, um, Chair Powell has been talking about how tight the labor market is and how it's tight to an unhealthy level. And he's been looking at the ratio of job openings for every unemployed person. That's currently sitting at 1.9 job openings for every person unemployed in the US. So that still shows you a fairly tight labor market. And I don't necessarily think you get too much easing up on the Fed rhetoric uh, from at least the
0: Perhaps a slight moderation in the growth in average. Yeah, but if, if wages are coming down, then surely that becomes less of an issue. But anyway, we'll we'll see. if the speed of them slows down, anyway. But look, uh, closer to home, the statement of monetary policy from the RBA on Friday. Uh, we are obviously expecting that the cash rate. Well, we don't we don't think it's going to get anywhere near three percent, do we? I think two and a half percent or a little bit over. But it's it's obviously it's much slower progress than we're seeing in the in the United States. We're not expecting a fifty basis point hike. Uh, in this part of the world, are we?
1: So it'll be interesting to see the uh, next uh, WPI print and the CPI. So when you look at the RBA's forecast for core trim mean inflation, uh, they only see it getting back to the band by mid 2024 at 2.9% year on year. And you'd have to say that's a little bit uncomfortable. And the risk is actually that the, that the RBA feels like it does need to move a little bit more aggressively. And one way it could do that is by moving by more than 25 basis points. So the risk really is um, the the WPI, which comes out on 18 May, if that is a little bit higher than what the RBA was expecting, that could suggest – Wage pressures in Australia are more prevalent um, than what the RBA had forecast or was picking up in its, its liaison program and could be compelled to do a 40 to 50 basis point high. Well, yeah, I, I um, mean, because they're,
0: s- they're growth forecast as well. I mean, inflation's one thing, but I mean, they're saying uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a bit of a hit on growth in the first half of this year, but they see the calendar year GDP growing at 4.25%, which seems a, a tad optimistic, doesn't it? I did, and the unemployment rate unchanged at
1: 3.6% <laughs> as well. So um, a very strong growth outlook uh, and very tight labour market is likely uh, is being forecast to pist- persist, even with an assumption of rising rates there. So mm. you'd have to say the bias really is that the RBA feels like it has to front load more of their
0: hiking program in order to put a bit more downward pressure on oh, inflation. Tim, I get 50 basis point rise. Right. All right, well, we'll watch for that. Now look, uh, Europe as well, German 10-year yields got up to 1.13% on Friday. Remember when they were negative? Uh, This is the highest since 2014, uh, and ECB members definitely sounding even more hawkish now. I mean, you know, July rate rise seems likely, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. And the one ECB Governing Council member, just worth watching, is Villaroy, and he said um,
1: that... that, It was reasonable to take the deposit rate from its current minus 0.5 to back above 0% by the end of the year. So um, it does suggest the ECB is looking like it will start to hike from from July and will hike a number of times this year. And as you noted, that did see uh, US-German yields uh, rise quite markedly there. Um, When you look at market pricing, I think markets are pricing in um, uh, 4.5 rate hikes uh, by the end of the year out of the
0: ECB now oil uh, up a little further on Friday I wonder how high oil's going to go not as high obviously if as if the EU managed to actually get their act together and get a mandate to ban Russian oil f- across all member countries. But of course, Hungary is having none of it. And Germany's not too keen, are they? They're basically saying uh, that they don't want to do anything that's going to p- p- punish Germany more than it punishes Russia. So they don't want to feel the hurt. And uh, you just wonder whether, they, you know, so so meanwhile, they're just pumping money into Russia.
1: Uh, yes. Um, so I think it was Hungary and a few other countries have said that they don't want to sign up for For that, And just worth noting, though, uh, even if it doesn't get passed, uh, the G7 is also meeting this week, so the group um, of seven, and they're planning to ban Russian oil imports for their respective uh, economies. So within the G7 are some pretty um, weighty countries, including uh, Germany, uh, the UK, and France as well. So um, if the rest of Europe doesn't, um, then it's still quite a possibility that France and Germany um, and the UK does as well. Um, Just worth noting, though, in the oil market, and this is in in commodities as well, there's another – countervailing force at the moment and that's obviously China's partial lockdowns in a number of cities there and um, although the momentum for the oil price has been up, um, weekend news notes that Saudi Arabia has actually cut oil prices for buyers in Asia just given um, lower demand coming out of China.
0: Well the Aussie dollar of course I mean you know not not benefiting from the the, the rising commodity price and I guess that is because of risk sentiment but as you say also because of uh, the situation in China so uh, do you remember we were uh, early on this year we were talking about the Aussie dollar reaching 80 Cents by the end of the year. It looks like it's going to be a long way off. That
1: yeah, it does. It does seem like that, and I think a lot of it is actually tied up with what's going on in China. And um, uh, most people can get the view that as you ease those restrictions, uh, activity bounces back and bounces back quite sharp. Uh, the uncertainty here is uh, there's just no inkling from the Chinese authorities towards pivoting with COVID-19 and just the key uncertainty exactly when th- that will occur. And I mentioned those dates around August to, to, to October. If our China waits another couple of months, then that's going to lead to very weak commodities demand in the near term. And you've actually seen... Commodity prices right around the world come off, even with very tight inventory levels, because of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine.
0: Yeah, well, it's Victory Day in Russia today. Uh, uh, Putin's going to be displaying all his military hardware, uh, which could be good news, couldn't it? Because uh, he won't be able to use it if it's all on on display. But uh, I mean, there are fears he's going to use this as the day that he declares war on Ukraine. But I'm not sure what that changes really. I mean, they're clearly at war with Ukraine. It's just a bit of semantics, isn't it? But look, we'll watch that obviously uh, to see what happens next. Uh, the bigger question. I is really. What is Europe going to do about it all? But we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk tapas. We'll catch you again very soon. Thank you. Uh, Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And that's it. That's the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.